as a way of getting a running start, we're going to back up to chapter 1, verse 1. <laughs> uh, I think we got the two verses last week, so we're going we're gonna to back up a little bit here and, and get a running start. But one of the things that, you know, why the Lord inspired this book, so many reasons, chapters 1 through 4, it's all the- theological. It all has the underpinnings and the foundation of our faith. I mean, 90% of what we read in this gospel compared to Matthew, Mark, and Luke is unique to just the gospel of John, solely focused predominantly on his divinity. Obviously, Matthew, to the, to the Jewish audience that was originally intended, certainly today for us, Mark, uh, talking about servant, and Luke, again, from that microscopic uh, physician's eyes, the humanity of Christ, and John's so focused on the divinity here, uh, and, and, and the deity of Christ, it's so powerful. But I, I want us to turn to chapter 20 in John. Um, this morning, and I want us to look at verse 30. He tells us why he was inspired to write this book. Remember, he's the last survivor of the apostles at this time. All the other apostles have been martyred by this time. And he's written this to a, a group of people that will be part of the diaspora, those that have had to leave Jerusalem, fleeing and going and giving the gospel in the surrounding areas. And he tells us in verse 30, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. You just pause on that for a minute. You think about it. All that we have here, it's been said you could orally read Matthew, Mark, or Luke within three to three and a half hours. And to think that we could read the book of John out loud in four hours and yet only capture a, such a small percentage of all that Jesus Christ did during a three to three and a half year ministry. But these are written, these things, the things that we read here, believe 98 times, underscore that and underline that in your Bible. Every time you see believe in this book, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Do you see that? The definite article, the, called out in the Greek, very particular. What is the Christ? It's the Greek for what? Savior, we know that. Translated, if you were looking at Hebrew, what's the Hebrew word that's in similar used interchangeably? That's correct. You could say Messiah, right? You could say, and what does Messiah mean in the Hebrew? Anointed one. Yeah? The son of God. He's taken those two things together, which were separate. And in this one passage, he brings them together for us. Many times we, we understand that the son of, of God can be a Davidic, sort of, not a Davidic, excuse me, a messianic title. But technically, if you study the Old Testament, they're broken out and they are two separate things. John is bringing them all together here. The Son of God, and that believing you may, what? Have life in his name. He tells us that the reason is that we would believe and draw people as well as ourselves into the realization of who Messiah Jesus, Yeshua, Jesus Christ is. That's what he wants us to understand here this morning. So with that, I ask you to go ahead and turn back to chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's speaking of John the Baptist. This man came for a witness, underline that please in your Bibles, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. 
He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light that was the true light. The idea in the Greek there is genuine, if you translated that correctly, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as he received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Praise Jesus, huh? When you think about this, what is God trying to communicate just in the first two verses to humanity right here? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. First of all, past tense. We talked about this last week. Past tense in the Greek, the idea was, going back to Genesis 1, tying us back into that total um, understanding that even before creation, unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which bring us to Jesus and the incarnation as the beginning, of the testimony, John brings us much further back. He brings us to eternity, and he goes even in the beginning, before this world, this earth, you and I, anything was created. He brings us to that place and says, no, no, no. You want to know the character of God? You want to know the heart of God? We need to start there. I want to bring you back even further to understand that before anything had even transpired, there was God. In Deuteronomy 6, You have the Shema, and it says there is one God. Every Christian understands that. We all subscribe to the Shema. There's not one of us in here that would come and say, no, that's not true. But it's one God with three persons, three substance that way. And what he's telling us is in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Very, very important. So he's teaching us that Jesus was there with the Godhead, God the Father, certainly with the Holy Spirit, and and the Word was God. Now, we start going, Word, what Word is he talking about? Well, if you go down to verse 14, he makes it very clear who the Word is. And the Word became flesh, talking about the incarnation, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Notice it's not a balance here. He's the fullness of both. Now, why do we read here the word? Why is he trying to communicate this through the word? In our language, what do we use words for? I mean, think about it. If It doesn't just say that Jesus is the communion. I mean, yes, that would be true. But, but what do we use words for? What, what, do, what do we do with our words? We try to communicate, Right? Why is he doing this specifically? Look at, look at verse 18. What do we read? No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten of the Son, who is the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. We're talking about a God that's invisible, a God that's what? Spirit. God the Father, the Godhead is spirit. So what are we learning about what Jesus Christ is trying to communicate through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to John right now? Using the word... He's communicating to us an invisible God because he is God and he's communicating God the Father to us because we can see him and the likeness of this. Lagos. That's what that word is there in the Greek, Lagos. And it says he was with God and the word was God, drawing to the divinity of it all, inseparable, inseparable. How many times have people wondered, should I be praying to the Father, or should I pray to the Son, or should I pray to the Holy Spirit? Have you ever thought about that? Which, who am I to... 
You're praying to God. It says, verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Hold your finger here. Would you please turn to Colossians with me, please? I'd like to go to Colossians chapter 1. You're going to be going to your right. You get to Philippians. Right after the book of Philippians, you're going to come to Colossians. If you get to Thessalonians, you've gone too far. Stop and turn back to the left. Colossians chapter 1. I'd like to draw your attention to verse 15, please. Here we see Paul. This is a Pauline epistle, Colossae. Church, again, like Rome, he had never been to. Romans, Colossae are the two epistles we have in our New Testament scriptures. Paul never physically uh, had gone to those churches, to those areas. He wrote them um, to a group of men and women he had never met, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit somewhere around 62 A.D. from a Roman prison. And in this passage that Paul is writing to this church that he's never been to, in verse 15 he explains similarly to what we read in John chapter 1, describing the invisible God, and he says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This firstborn doesn't mean actually uh, born as an eternality. He's always existed. He's talking about, much like he would say, he's the first fruits of the resurrection, right? He is the firstborn through the incarnation that way. You might say, okay, born in the flesh, but always exists. He's drawing the preeminence. It's all about preeminence. That's what this is talking about. Overall creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Just pause on that, say la for a minute. Just pause on that for a minute. He's telling you, he's describing authorship here. He's describing source. This is this is everything. I mean, to understand the character of Christ is to also understand the character of God. He is the physical manifestation in the flesh of God. And he's done that because God is spirit. And so for you and I, just like Thomas, touch this body, you know, flesh and bone, right? How many times did you, maybe before you were a Christian, say, well, if God did this or appeared here, or if I could just see him and touch him, then I would believe Jesus is the manifestation of that. Did you realize that that's also what John is trying to communicate here? Because he is God, he is our reflection of the invisible Godhead for us. And that he's the author of all creation. Everything in heaven and the earth, visible or invisible, things we can't even see or comprehend, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. Wait a minute. You mean he's over the principalities of our? Absolutely absolutely has all authority. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in all things he may have, what? Preeminence. It's, it's always been all about preeminence that way. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter, please, chapter 1, verse 1.
Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, clearly describing his divinity. No doubt about that. Turn to 1 John, please. Let's look at 1 John chapter 1. Again, same inspired author, right? He was inspired to write the book of the Gospel of John, also wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and inspired to write the book of Revelation. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, talking about the testimony, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. He's a witness. You and I are a witness. Even the baby's a witness. <laughs> the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, speaking of the eternality again, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And these things we will write to you that your joy may be what? Full, complete, whole. That we would have proper understanding of who God is. Because after all, it is a relationship, isn't it? It's not based on works. Have you ever noticed that um, when you want to get to know somebody, a friend, an acquaintance like that, but you want to get to know them deeper, what do you do with them? Well, we, I use the term invest. I'm always encouraging the flock, invest in others, right? Be others focused. Well, Paul, I can't take that. Paul, actually, you read the book of Acts, uh, spirit-driven church. It's all about investment. But just simply, friends, it's innate to us. Did, did you ever think about it? It's innate. God has built that in there. Romans 12, every man and woman's been given a measure of faith. It's innate and built into us. When you want to sit down and get to know more about something, what do you do? You ask people questions. You learn. You listen. You hear. You probe a little bit. And what do you discover? More and more about that individual. Especially if you're more others focused and not so much focused on self. You, you discover more about them. And then you begin to know that person deeper. More beautiful that way. You see the things that maybe didn't appear just sort of shallow. At a shallow place. I've used the example... Um, a brother of mine used it. We were at the castle in uh, uh, PA here. And uh, he says, you know, so many fishers of men like to go out and they cast their rod and they only want to catch fish that are within the first five feet. And they think because they catch fish within the first five feet, they've experienced the ocean. He says, contrary, when you go deep sea diving or if you took a submarine and you went down deeper, you would see things you had never ever seen before. You would experience a depth in a way that you have never experienced before. How much more our God? That's what he's showing us here. And he's saying that Jesus Christ, the physical manifestation of him, coming outside of creation into creation, is revealing this to us that we might in some way comprehend the vastness, the beauty, the love, the mercy, the grace, the truth of the living God. And all because he desires a relationship with us. He desires an enlargement of the heart, ever decreasing, right? That's my heart's desire, ever decreasing. 
right? Christ always increasing. And that's what it's communicating. He was in the beginnings over all things made through him, without him. It's talking about source and authorship. It was made, that was made in him. Look at verse 4. We, we can't even get that far. En, right? In the Greek, in him. The idea here was the life and the life was the light. In him. He, he's the source of it, right? The idea here is um, it, it, it is, can't be apart from him. That, that is actually the problem. If, if you've ever wondered, and you're sitting here this morning, wondering why this world is getting crazier, if I can say it that way, or more debased, I prefer that's a biblical term, the reason for that is because it's not in him. In him is the source. And through that source, we see things from a biblical perspective. Scales fallen from the eyes. We see truth. Whereas many people will look on and they will not see the same thing we see and almost try to make us seem like we're crazy because we don't see things from their perspective or point of view. But we see things from an eternal perspective, God's perspective, through the word of God, which is primarily the way God speaks to us. And so he, he's showing us here, this is important, he says, in him, the source of this whole thing, the source of life, the source of truth, explaining the mystery, he says, was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, that darkness speaking to a world and hurt, pain, and the darkness did not comprehend it. You know, th this idea of comprehend, we think of in our minds to mean more of understanding. When, when you say that's more of a, if I asked you what it, what does it mean to comprehend something, you'd say, oh, I can understand it. Maybe not the best exact translation in the Greek if I was looking for a, a different, uh, more definitive. It actually means to overcome. The Greek term means more, more aptly to overcome and to grasp and to um, to lay hold of. That's the idea of what he's saying here. He's, he's not just describing an, an um, a comprehension. Like, like I can comprehend this as wood, but it doesn't mean that I'm grasping it and becoming one with it. Do, do you understand what, I, what I'm trying to communicate? The Greek is trying to communicate. It's more than just understand mentally. It, it's source. It's, it's truth. It's, it's in him that we come to this deeper and also overcoming victory, this grasping, this laying hold of. Aren't you glad there's no bait and switch to this? He doesn't, he doesn't, uh, he's not grammatically challenged God. He doesn't keep it at a surface level and just try to bait people in. And then once you come in, then all of a sudden it's like, you know, no, we don't read that. He knows that we need to understand, just like when we're sitting in front of somebody getting to know someone, uh, Maybe some of you um, can remember when you started to quarter date somebody, somebody that maybe had your eye, right? You, you read, the Lord gave you a scripture. You kind of confirmed it in your heart. Yes, I'm to be with this one. This is the one the Lord has raised for me. First Corinthians, uh, he's given you a gift of marriage. Maybe he's done that. Some of you've got a gift of singleness, but he's given that gift of marriage. You sat down, you looked into that person's eyes and you're just like, you know, blah, 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 blah. you know, you remember that? You know what I'm talking about. You're just looking in each other's eyes. You know, like the Lord, you've done this. It's beautiful. And yet, do you just say, gosh, I just really love this surface level relationship we have. It is so good on the surface. I don't want to dare go deeper because I'm afraid if I go deeper, I'm going to experience so much more joy, love, and appreciation. So I'm just going to keep it really out here. 
You know, I wonder how that relationship would work. I, I wonder if we would call it a relationship at all. Wouldn't that be more of an acquaintance? Would that be a Lord? Would that be a master? Would that be a savior? Would that be one that um, satisfies your soul? Would that be one that quenches your thirst with a, a water that you'll never thirst again? With a bread, a bread of life that you'll never hunger again in the same way? This darkness that the world has, we overcome it through in him, in Christ Jesus. But they, those that are still in darkness, can't, they can't grasp it. Because they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because they're rejecting Jesus Christ. And it's pointing back to us the things that are important through relationship. God wants us to have more with him. To desire more of his glory. Remember Moses prayed that? Lord, show, show me more of your glory. When's the last time that was a prayer of your heart? My heart. It says there was a man, and then he's going to bring this out through application. Remember, chapter 1 through 4 is the foundation pivotal uh, to our um, understanding of theology, of how we, remember, book of John, very unique also, that it, it the, the uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke obviously bring in the different accounts, the different aspects, but, but John is what anchors us in the timing, because he'll say the next day, this, so we get chronology through this as well. John is very good for chronology. So as we read this, he says, he's introducing us to John the Baptist. He says, this was a man, John the Baptist, a man sent from God. He clearly tells us where John had come from, the idea of what John had. Uh, he was a man after God that way, whose name was John. This man came for witness. He tells us the whole purpose. Now, I want you to think about this man's life. This is a man that drew out to the wilderness. Wilderness, again, a part of recognizing the world and kind of coming out, going and drawing men to him there. And he baptized. He baptized. We'll talk about this more next week if the Lord should tarry. But he baptizes with water. What was, the, what was the baptism of water that he was doing there? It wasn't the Christian baptism that we understand today. And the Jewish people uh, and the Hebrew mind understood this. There was no, this wasn't, John didn't, you know, Christians didn't invent baptizo, all right, the, the Greek word for baptism. We didn't invi- invent that. You, you do realize that, right? It was something the Jewish people had been doing for very, many times, Gentile or, or, or Jewish proselytes. The, they were baptizing. This is not something we I mean, Christians um, had created. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that next week as we get into those passages. But what he's showing us here is this man who came, how long was his ministry? 18 months, right? 18 months approximately. Okay, he came, he was certainly, you might say, his ministry for years leading up being a forerunner as described in Malachi. We'll talk about that in a minute. But but his whole ministry was to draw people. He was to make the crooked ways, what? Straight. He was to tell people the kingdom of God is at hand. He was, he was a forerunner. The spirit of Elijah, as Jesus Christ has, has told us in the Gospels. But I want you to think about his actual ministry. When Christ comes in the three to three and a half year ministry begins for Christ, John doesn't make it through all three years, does he? What did his ministry look like? His ministry involved martyrdom. His, his ministry involved being beheaded because he stood in the gap and didn't cower to a man that was committing sin because he wanted to commit adultery and he thought he was above those things. John the Baptist was willing to stand in the gap. He was a witness. Not only a witness to who Christ was because certainly he told 
his disciples who he was, right? And then they became Christ's disciples. It was never about drawing men to himself, John the Baptist. It was always pointing them to Jesus. But it's important because as I was sharing with first service, it's uncommon for the Christian today to understand that suffering is very much a part of the Christian walk. There's not a whole lot of churches you can walk into anymore where the pastor will stand up at the pulpit, read the word of God, and actually declare that there's nothing wrong with you when you are experiencing suffering for the namesake of Jesus Christ. He was a witness. He was a witness to that. We shouldn't find it strange or unusual. If you just bear with me, hold your finger here. Turn to Luke chapter 1, please. We just finished the book of Luke together, line by line and verse by verse. So some of you were with us, but some were not. So if we look at Luke chapter 1, I'd like to draw our attention to verse 16. I'm actually going to back up to verse 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He's talking about his Nazarite vow, right? Back to number six. We understand what that is. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And exactly what we saw happen. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to their Lord, their God. He will also go before him in the spirit of power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, make ready the people prepared for the Lord. So we see that this is even foreordained. It was prophetic. Now, my Italian cousin, Malici, right, or Malachi, no, 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 he's, he's Malachi, right? We understand that. Is he the last prophet of the Old Testament? Some of you would say yes here. Not true. John the Baptist, Jesus Christ declares in himself, John, was actually the last of the Old Testament prophets, okay? We read this today and we take this for sort of granted. Please remember, John the Baptist was the first appearing or the first mouthpiece after a 400-year period of silence. Do you realize that? In a 400 period of silence between the intertestamental period, there was not a single peep that way from a prophet until John the Baptist arrives on the scene. So, would you do me a favor? Would you please... Turn in your Bibles to Malachi. I'd like to look at verse 3 with you together. So go to your Old Testament. It's the book right before the book of Matthew. You've probably heard of these as the Mount Malachi, right after Malachi was the silent times or intertestamental period. If you go to Malachi chapter 3, we read of the prophetic prophecy that was given to Malachi the prophet. Some might call him a minor prophet that way, but he's a prophet, a man of God, a spokesman of God that way. Behold, I have sent my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Speaking of Messiah, Jesus. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming says the Lord of hosts, the most, the most used term in all of your Old Testament scripture, the God of the armies, the Lord of hosts. He's speaking of who? He's speaking of one that would come, John the Baptist. Okay, there's more. Turn to chapter 4. Please. 
as we look at these things, I'd like us to look at chapter 4, verse 5. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will what? Turn the hearts of their fathers to the children and the hearts of their children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. This is really important, especially as we're going to make our ways in verse 14. We will not get there this week, but as we're going to read verse 14 and on what leads up to uh, approximately verse 28, we're going to go through that. And that's why one of the religious leaders is they're going to turn around and ask him, the brood of vipers, as, Jesus, uh, as John the Baptist will call them, as they come out to be water baptized, which was, again, I said there's a difference in, in, in Christian baptism. Water baptism at that time was an acknowledgement uh, and a need for repentance, a cleansing, a need for repentance. That's, that's the baptism that John the Baptist baptized with. Christians, you and I, we identify with the death, right? The life, death, and resurrection when we're baptized, um, right? As Christians, right? We understand it's a profession of the inward transformation, right? And we're declaring that outwardly. But John the Baptist was baptizing before that, and his baptism was calling all those to recognize their need for a Savior, their need, if you will, because of their sin, the need for cleansing and washing, the need for repentance, metanoia in the Greek. Remember what that term means? To turn away, to completely turn 180. That's exactly what it's calling out. And so we read about John the Baptist. This is what he was to do. And he, you can turn back to the book of John, he is called a witness. Luke 4 and 6, Mark 1, chapter 1, verse 7, in totality, to bear the witness of the light. So maybe there's somebody here suffering this morning, and you're thinking, Lord, why is this going on? What? Lord, is, you are a witness unto God to draw people to the light, not to let them stay in the darkness. We're not to compromise with sin. No, we're to draw the darkness out into the light. Right? We're not Anabaptists here. We're not separatists. We're in the world. We're just not of the world that way. He describes the light, this light. And he calls it the light. Again, it's a definite article. He's talking about Jesus. That all through him might believe that John's witness, even John's beheading, John's suffering in prison, John's experience in the wilderness, just eating honey and locusts. I can do the honey thing. I'm not so sure about the locusts for all those years, right? Maybe they're really good. I don't know. Maybe a chocolate cover them. I don't know. Maybe that'll sweeten it up. But, but it, was, it was what? His whole life was dedicated unto the Lord and whatever that needed to look like, even unto death, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Do we just read these things on a page or do we believe them? 98 times, the book of John, believe, believe, believe. He was not just, or he was not that light. He was not Messiah. He's not Jesus. But was sent to bear witness of that light, just as we, re we read in, in Malachi, yeah? That was the true light. Now, underline that in the Greek. True is, you might think of just, I, I agree, truth is in high demand today, so no doubt about that. But the true light that this is describing is the genuine light. He's talking about genuineness as compared to something that's artificial or something that's not, uh, something that's a substitute or something. He's comparing that to the genuine because after all, he remember in the Greek we already read, in him, so en in the Greek, right? The idea is in him, he is source. 
in that source is genuine light. And that's why the darkness can't comprehend it, can't overcome it, can't grasp it, can't, you know, kind of like that awe. Because in that passage, when we're reading that, you, you ever, somebody share something with you that's kind of surprising or shocking or something, and what do you do? You kind of like, you don't even recognize you're doing it, and you sort of gape for a second, your kind of mouth drops down, and you, I don't know, maybe some of you stick out your tongue. Like, I don't know. But you kind of have that moment where you're like, God of all things that we can comprehend and not, cannot comprehend, God, invisible, spirit, all things created through him, begins to describe these things and to think that the Holy Spirit had to inspire this to say he's the genuine. Oh, my heart breaks for that because the carnality that exists in me I need God to point out that he is genuine light. And any kind of light I try to manifest as well or as um, nice and meaningful as that may be is not genuine outside of him. Outside of him. And he says that this light, he gives light to every man. Again, it's important. He's the source in him. All the light that you and I have, any light that we have, it's from Christ Jesus. And he says that every man, they're not just some that were destined to hell, some that were destined to heaven. We don't read anything like that in scripture. Every man coming into the world. <laughs> Remember the old light bulbs? They gave light. You know, the 60 watt light bulbs you had in your house. What happened when they were about to go? You remember they'd kind of flicker a little bit. They'd get funny and you kind of knew it was time to replace the light bulb or they'd just go out. Aren't you glad that our source isn't something that's unreliable like a light bulb? That God is so reliable, such a promise keeper, so trustworthy. Especially when truth is in such a high demand like it is today. Everybody trying to redefine their truth through their form of relativism. It's just humanism. It's Gnosticism reinvented. Nothing new under the sun, as Solomon would say. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. What is he talking about when he says that he, he came into the world, and he made them through him, and the world did not know him? He says that this light, remember... When he came, he's talking about the incarnation, he came into the world, he made, the world was made through him. He's talking about creation as well. He says, this world, things around us testify. Hold your finger here. Turn to Romans, please, with me, if you don't mind. Look, let's look at Romans chapter um, 15. We'll start maybe. 16? 16. Let's start with 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, please. Remember, he is the genuine light. He is the source, en, in the Greek, in him. Why am I drawing? Because this passage here is going to do better than anything I could do in man's wisdom. Anything that a man could stand up here and do, you try to touch the fingerprints of God, I'll blow it. So I'm going to bring you to the passage where God speaks very clearly and very true in regards to these things. And, and, and that way, don't get mad at me here, okay? Don't, I'm not, 
I love you, beloved. And that's why the Lord draws us to these passages. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation. For everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it is the righteousness of God that is revealed from faith to faith. As written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. There's a suppression here. He doesn't say that they don't know it. He doesn't say they don't understand it. He clearly is telling us they're suppressing that light. Romans 12 tells us that every single human being has a measure of faith. They were given light. But what are they doing with it? You are either embracing it and allowing it to reflect off of you or me, or we're doing what? We're suppressing it. What do we read? You're not to cover it, right? I'm going to let this little shine. Remember, kids, I'm going to let this little light shine, this little shine, this light of mine, put it under a bushel. No, remember? We sing the songs. Do you know what? They're from the scriptures. It's the idea that we cannot hide these things. Because they're not from us. It's not our source. It's Christ's source in him. And he says here that, that it's, un, it's revealed, okay, because they may, what may know of God is manifest in them. Let me just back up for, for readability. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them. You see that? It's manifest in them. It's already there. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are what? Clearly seen. How is that possible even before Christ Jesus? Because we already read that Christ Jesus came um, to demonstrate the spirit because he was manifest so that we could see him and thereby seeing him, we've seen the invisible God. Those who've seen the son have seen the father right that way. What bears witness to us all around? Creation. Creation testifies. Because when we see creation, um, even someone that may not understand observational science or those kinds of things, it begs the question, well, how did this all come into being? How are the, how's the moon still, you know, how's the earth orbiting? How are, how are all, how's the sun? How do all these things stay in order and operation? Because if the sun just moves or the earth just moves slightly one direction or the other, you, you have a polar vortex. You, you, you freeze. You have frostbite and die. Life is not sustainable on this planet. Last I checked, we didn't go to bed last night and said, Jesus, please um, keep the earth and the sun, you know, in proper orbit. And that way we wake up tomorrow and it's not um, and like a popsicle. Right? We didn't, we didn't do that. We, we almost take it for granted because creation testifies to an intelligent designer. I just read an article, my wife uh, and I this morning, um, when we were up early for our, our, devo- our time um, devotion and or just prayer time, uh, before we ever get here, we cover everything on, with prayer. And when I was, one of the things I do after this, I will often um, pray for the other pastors in our area and different things going on. But I'll, I'll turn to the headlines too, because often I've had you all come up and say, hey, pastor, did you see this? And I'm like, no, I have no clue. And maybe we should stop and be praying about that right at that moment. Maybe it's something critical, like when the hurricane came through Ian or something. So we stop and pray for those things. But, but um, I saw a headline this morning, and I thought, Lord, you're, 
You're so good the way you connect these things. There was an article that was just written. written. Uh, some of you are familiar with the quantum fix, physics. Is. Um, there was a gentleman that just came out and he was is furthering the idea and the ideology of quantum physics because either believe in some of those constructs or you don't. And he, he came out and he said, um, they're going so far as to say that the things we see or we don't see, they're not real. But they're just, they're just an order of operation that we can apprehend, but they're not real, the very things. I think of Einstein, you know, and uh, relativity. And he spoke very clearly, and I think very simply about those things. Um, but one of the things that drew my attention to that is uh, the idea of where... Um, the moon. <laughs> the moon, there was a full moon a couple days ago, or still might be today or tonight, I don't, I don't remember. Um, you may not have left your house. You, you may not have walked outside uh, to look at the moon. But friends, it was still there. It didn't rely on your operation or perception or conception of seeing that the moon was there to know that the moon was what? There. Do you, do you understand the order of just the, 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 sometimes the pride and arrogance of man? Do, do, do you, do you under, do we, are we comprehending this? Like this is why he's, and, and this is the problem. This, this is, this is, the, this is the, the, the rejection that he's describing. This is the searing of the spirit. This is the idea that why he says it was manifest then. And, and, and these invisible attributes are clearly seen because whether you want to believe it or not, the moon is there. And um, he says, being understood by these things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There's no one in here that ever has an excuse to disobey God, to do something contrary to the word of God. Right? It's not an Jesus to go to a scripture when God says, don't do this or don't do that. And you say, well, that's not the context. It's, that's not what we're talking about. I've done that, right? You've done that, Yeah. We've done those things, haven't we? It's the commandments, statutes, and judgments of the Lord. They don't change. And this is what he's trying to say. They're without excuse. Creation testifies there's a law and an order. 1 Corinthians 14.40 says everything is done in decency and order. It requires an intelligent design. And that's what he's showing us here. That's, that's what he's speaking to our hearts. He's without excuse. Because although they never knew... Well, because all they did, they knew God, excuse me, they knew God. They did not glorify him as God. Who were they glorifying? Interesting. Nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man, the birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. He's describing idolatry. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. You see how this is a progression? In the loss of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie to exchange something. Isn't there have to be an intentional and deliberate action to do that? And worshiped and served the creature. Who is a creature? Any human being. And the carnality of that. Rather than the creator. Who's he speaking to there? He's speaking to God. About God. Who is blessed forever. Amen. And so be it. That's the truth. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even the woman exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. He's talking about lesbianism. Likewise, also men leaving the natural use of the woman, burned them the lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which is due. He's talking about homosexuality. 
And even as they did not like to retain God, notice that, they don't want to, but they can't get away from him or it because even all creation testifies. Have you ever met somebody that's agnostic? They're not content. First of all, the Greek of that, we could just all day long have fun, right? Agnostic, A, not to know God. You're with me. You already know what I'm going to say. That in itself is just a, I won't go any further. So what he's describing here, this knowledge that we have, the idea of trying to run for it, what I was going to imply is that someone even that's agnostic or someone that tries to say that they don't believe there's a God, have you ever noticed why they're not content in themselves? If that is really true and they're happy that with that position they found, why are they miserable in regards to, it's not enough that they believe that, but why does everybody else have to believe that? Why when Lucifer, when he declared himself in Isaiah 14, you know, I will be like the God most high, why wasn't that enough for him? He chose not to worship God. God didn't create him that way. God created him to be a cherubim, right? He created him to be a worship leader. That's what we read in Ezekiel 28. He was to bring glory and honor to God. He was in the throne room of God, just feet from him. He was a created being. Why wasn't it enough? If that's what Satan, Lucifer, believed, of a created being, a fallen angel, you know, if that's what he believed, what did he do? Did it stop there? No, we read he did what? He took a third of all the angels with him. It was never enough. It wasn't enough that he was in unrighteousness, but he was going to turn around and spread that unrighteousness to everyone else because somehow that justifies his disobedience. And he doesn't want people to bring glory to God. That's what happens to every single person in sin. It's not something they just bottle up and contain within themselves. Sin is contagious. Sin is viral. Please acknowledge that. There is no safety around it. And we certainly shouldn't enable it. I, I, I've done that in my life. Oh, I can handle this. You flirt with the sin, as we say. It's, it never ends well. It doesn't. God cannot bless it. It's contrary to his word, contrary to his character. And instead of one person being hurt, everyone's hurt. He, he's telling us these things because he loves us. And he doesn't want us to experience these things. He says that, that they're going to give it over to unnatural uses of their bodies, lesbian, you know, uh, homosexuality. And then they're going to even turn around and, and even though they didn't want to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to debased minds. That's what, that's what we're seeing today. We call it crazy. When we're, we're looking at the world, man, that is just crazy. People coming to these conclusions like, you know what? There's a lot of crime in our area, right? Not here necessarily, but in different cities. So let's continue to further defund the police. Um, and we think somehow that's going to make things better. And then we are surprised that the next step is the corporations that are occupying those cities decides to close their corporation and move to a different state where the fund, the police are there that can protect the people and the citizens and the employers and the, the, the companies, right? You and I would look at it and go, well, yeah, it's crazy to think contrary. No, the Bible would say they were given over to a debased mind. That's how you explain it biblically. It's, it's not... I, we use the term crazy, but he's explaining how it happens, what it looks like. And to do these things which are not fitting, being filled with unrighteousness, sexual morality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil minus, that they are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, um, proud boasters, inventors of evil things. 
Disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things deserving of death not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice the same things or with them. It's amazing how there's groupthink in that. You know, that groupthink of sin. And he's drawing our attention to this. You, you can turn back to John. You know, you want a good example of this? Uh, with our, our few moments, we only have a couple more passages left here, verses. Many of you are old enough to remember uh, different pandemics or different things that we've had. I, you know, I know the pandemic is over, or maybe somebody here, you know, maybe some that don't believe it's over. Okay, I don't, I'm not going to get into that with you. That's not, you know, you can look in the mirror and have that debate. Um, that's my encouragement. But uh, you're wrong, and... Okay, anyway, so <laughs> flesh, right? The flesh is strong, but the spirits walk in the spirit, then you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians, what? One, right? Galatians 5.16. I'm just kidding. Now they're all awake. Okay, good. So I want you to just think about this seriously, pragmatically for a minute. Throughout generations of human history, we have watched, especially if you, if you look at the, the Jewish people, Hebrews, men and women, you look at the discoveries and the beautiful, brilliant minds that God has given the Jewish people, anointed by God that way, called by God, his chosen people, right? Certainly there's been sin. There's been things in their lives. We have a hard Bible that references those things. But discoveries like, you know, satellites and, you know, they take our, many of our weapons, our planes, and they take the technology out of them and they replace them with their Israeli technology, right? In some ways, far superior. Okay, we're being, you know, Genesis 12, those who bless Israel will be blessed, those who curse Israel will be cursed, right? We, we understand these things. Um, God's blessed them, even, even in spite of sin and different things going on. He loves them. Jeremiah 31, 31, there's a covenant. He's going to redeem his people, okay? Um, God's not done with the Jewish people yet. And um, so we see this manifest, it's just brilliance going on. And yet, when we went through this pandemic, what was so striking to me was there was such a just handful of doctors that actually stood up and said, we need to problem solve here. What can we do to bring solutions to this problem rather than just shutting down the world, shutting down the church, locking you away and telling you, be afraid, be very afraid. Like, we could all figure that one out, right, when we didn't know what was going on. Where were the solutions? I mean... The Black Plague in Europe. Um, go back and study history and look at how humanity, uh, God through his spirit, has risen the occasion of where virologists and epidemiologists and those that study scientists have brought solutions. And yet the doctors, I think American frontline doctors is a good example, or others like that, that brought solutions to the table were immediately what? Shut down, knocked down. Why? That's foolishness. What happened to the days when we used to be able to debate? Even though we had different positions and, and we could disagree, we could come together and say, you know what? Bring your best. I'm bringing my best. And at the end of the day, we come out with a good God-centered solution. You see, this is part of the move of the debased mind. We're not dealing with a part of, of creation anymore that has that because we're in the last, last days. We're very close to this. I don't know when. No man knows the time or the hour. But, but what I'm getting at is we've seen that's been given over. And so for the first time I can think of in human history that I'm alive and you're alive, we're witnessing that it was not about furthering the science or solving the problem. Instead, we sort of 
we all just, we can't do it. We didn't even try. I mean, there were free men and women that did, and they were shut down or their employers shut them down. But so many people. All I'm bringing this out is, is because I've been alive long enough to watch God do amazing things. And I believe, as God is saying here, he is the light. And that if we don't let that light from Christ so shine in us to a lost and dying world, they're never going to have the light. And if we become indifferent because we don't recognize that we once too didn't what? Didn't reflect that light. I was a sinner. I was lost. I still am a sinner, but I was, I was lost before I knew Christ Jesus. And it was because somebody loved me enough that said, let me give you this light. Let me tell you who Jesus is in the gospel. This is what I'm bringing us to. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He's talking about the Gentiles and the Jewish people. He came to his own and his own didn't receive him. He's talking about the, the Jewish people when he had come, right? They, they, they didn't come to him for salvation. Some did, certainly, but not all. But as many as received to him, as many then he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name and who were born, not of blood. What is he talking about? He's talking about being born again, born of the spirit, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Unless you are born again of the spirit, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in John 3 when Nick, Nicodemus came. We, we can't possibly understand these things because there's a darkness but please remember what he said, that the darkness did not comprehend it. It couldn't overcome it. You have victory in Christ Jesus. You're not crazy. You're not given over to a debased mind. With love and truth and the fullness therein, do you know how many men, women, and children can be reached with the gospel? For the kingdom of God, are you willing to stand in that gap? The musicians can come forward. Are you willing to stand in that gap here? Are you willing to be a refraction of that light of Jesus Christ that lives in you? John the Baptist was. He was a forerunner. He was a witness. We have likewise been called to be witnesses. Isn't it great to be alive? It's great to be alive in these days. Will you stand with me if you're able? We're going to worship our Lord and Savior. I remember thinking in first service, I got to verse 13, but I'm not going to rush it. You know, I'm not going to rush this. We're going to take our time. We'll get all the meat off the bone. A lot the Lord has us from these passages here. Again, so profound, so powerful. I pray you guys are going home and you're restudying this all over again and just letting the Lord bear witness to these things to your soul. Father, we come before you right now. First of all, we thank you for your holy anointed, anointed word. We pray now, Lord, seal these things in our hearts. Let us, let us be sent by you to a lost and dying world, Lord. May we be the witnesses that John were, even unto death, Lord, if that's what it takes. One soul is worth it, Jesus. You would have come if it was just one soul. So, Lord, we would ask, save now. Save now, Jesus. And we pray strength. We know, Lord, there's a lot of brokenness and weariness here.
pour in so that we can pour out. And we just ask this in your mighty name, Jesus Christ, and God's people pray. Amen. Amen.